presence of God transforms lives and heals hearts. Let's learn today truths on how we can access His presence and release heaven into our daily lives. Welcome to Manifest His Presence with your host, Dr. Candace Smithyman. Well, hello, everybody. This is uh, Pastor Adam again, and uh, we're coming to you today with the second of a few messages on this journey Jesus is taking, uh, his last journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. And so let's just go to the Lord before we begin. Father, we thank you for today, and we are grateful for what's going on. And even though we don't know a lot of the things going on, we are knowing that we have breath right now, and we are thankful because you provide that. Father, as we dig into your word again today, we ask for your guidance, your patience, your wisdom with understanding so that we can glean from this today and move forward with what it is you have as our assignment here on earth. We thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So as I said, we're going to, I titled this today, The Time is Now, and we're going to continue where we left off last time in the book of Luke. A quick summary, I guess, of the last message is that basically Jesus had a private discussion with his disciples, emphasizing how committed and ready they must be for the division that was going to be coming. And again, this last journey that Jesus has taken from Galilee to Jerusalem is recorded in the book of Luke from chapter 9 to 19 of the book of Luke, roughly. And We're going to pick this up now as Jesus is going to address the larger audience with a a message. And if you're not aware, this, this is such a massive crowd that they begin to trample one another as it's recorded in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. It says that in there. That's that's pretty amazing. I mean, let's just not gloss over that point. Let's let's put that into perspective. When I hear that they were a large enough crowd to trample over each other, I think of things like that we can relate to is like maybe, you know, like if you think of a a crowd at a political rally or, you know, where these politicians are making great promises of good times or, you know, think of a, a concert with thousands of people pushing to get to the front, the stage area or How about even like, you know, a sporting event, many sporting events. You hear about people getting trampled on because the people are pushing to get on the field and support their team. So, you know, up to this point in chapter 12 of Luke, Jesus wasn't saying anything too radical, but he was about to start getting really personal. And it It's to this huge crowd that Jesus delivered a startling, frank frank criticism in one word, hypocrites. Now, I want to make a few comments before we read these scriptures in Luke 12. This judgment from Jesus came because of very good evidence of at least two things. First off, the people could not discern the time as we're going to read very shortly. They just couldn't discern the time. And let's not forget the setting. Here is a vast multitude of people that are pushing, they're pressing, and they're gawking at Jesus. Now I'm speculating here because it's not recorded anywhere, but I think 
I think I kind of know people. I think a lot of us would have an understanding of people in a crowd like this. And I think if we were there, we would have heard things like this, maybe. Well, what did G- what will Jesus say next? You know, we've heard rumors of him doing healings. You know, another would say, yeah, I, I want to see a healing. I, I want to see him do a sign. Somebody else might go, hey, be quiet over there. You're going to distract him. Others might be saying, hey, is this guy the Messiah? But wait, isn't he from Galilee? Or hey, isn't he a prophet? What's he going to say? Now, my point is this unruly mess of people revealed a terrible lack of faith and lack of discernment. So Jesus is going to talk and expose this with a parable. So let's read this in Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 54. Then Jesus also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather. And there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? Okay. Based on this common and accurate power of discernment found among each of these people, Jesus go on to pronounce them hypocrites. Now, why? Why? I mean, folks, it's not that complicated because as Jesus said, he says, you guys know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And this language is particularly fitting as a rebuke of the Hebrew people because this phrase, earth and sky, has a peculiar resemblance to the very first verse of Scripture, the very first verse in the Torah, right? The book of Genesis, chapter 1. God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, this mob that Jesus just called hypocrites knew all about God's creation but were clueless about the Creator. Not only were they judging the heavens and the earth, they themselves were under observation and the time had come and they had forgotten this, just like many of us today. Now, let's, let's explain this a little bit. Many of us, multiple times, we will give excuses for choices we make and believe we should get a free pass on that or that somebody else should pick up the tab for the choices we have made. The phrase that Jesus says here, the present time or to discern this time is an obvious eschatological prophetic reference. That is a fancy way to say this is referring to a judgment or death or final destiny of the soul kind of context. I mean, we should ask ourselves to what particular time did Jesus refer I mean, what is so special about this time that he's referencing? Okay, so note first that Jesus specifically refers to this time, which is to say his and his audience's present time, right? Not some time of judgment in the distant future, but the here and the now. See, whatever Jesus is talking about, it refers to the people he was talking to and their present time. Secondly, this time is compared to a discernible event. I mean, whatever the event is, 
Jesus is saying they should have been aware of it because it was as clear as storm clouds gathering in the West. So, folks, just process that. When, when people see something like that, they react. They, they react. they act accordingly. I mean, think about yourself. When you see a storm coming, you will get things done before the storm hits. I mean, isn't that just kind of obvious? So, in other words, this isn't like NASA rocket-type, you know, science, rocket engineer science stuff. This is everyday. So when we see weather changes are visible on the horizon, it means something is going to happen soon. So this time Jesus is referring to requires his audience to act now. Another point here is this time was inevitable. It was in fact already there for it was this time as opposed to, you know, let's say that time or another time. In addition, signs in the weather are discerned to bring predictable changes, rain, heat, cold, wind, snow, ice. I mean, just, you know, these things that happen in the natural. I mean, in other words, this sign is discerned. Jesus says, and and he says, so it happens in verse 54 and 55, meaning the forecast came to pass. So, Summing this all up, this time of which Jesus speaks was something these hypocrites would have no choice but to face, meaning this enormous uh, audience would have to face this. Okay, so see, because you and I have this book called the Bible and have heard this history before, we have some indication of what Jesus meant regarding the event that Jesus is talking about. This comes during the triumphal entry celebrated on what you and I refer to and call Palm Sunday. When the people begin to worship Jesus as the liberator, as the savior, and the Pharisees demand Jesus rebuke them. Right? Jesus declines and tell them, tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees, listen, if the people don't cry out, the rocks are going to cry out. During that entry to Jerusalem, Jesus weeps over the city and forecasts the city's doom. In Luke chapter 19, verses 42 and 44, the Bible tells us, Jesus says, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Okay, whoa, did you notice that Jesus says a dreadful destruction and desolation was coming upon Jerusalem because of Jerusalem's faithless ignorance of this day and the time. So this Time shares all the same elements here as it does in the weather forecasting parable that he says in chapter 12. Things like eminence and predictability and inevitability. And Jesus said that this time is specifically the time of your visitation. So this is important to grasp the meaning of this phrase and this word visitation. See, I think 
you know, because to our ears, visitation primarily means a friendliness and care. But folks, for the Hebrews at that time, in that culture, it refers almost universally to judgment. And one thing we can't deny about the Lord is that truth will prevail when he judges. Very, very interesting thing about truth, folks. You know, as St. Augustine said, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Just set it free and it will defend itself. The judgment may turn out either favorably or not, but the idea here is one of God inspecting his people and pronouncing a judgment based on what he finds. So, you know, our New Testaments were originally written in Greek, and the Greek word for visitation is episcope, which is where we get the word episcopal, and it means an inspector or overseer or bishop. And the idea is that God, the overseer of his covenant people, will come to inspect and judge those people. This understanding or theme appears in many places in our scriptures. Here's just a couple. For example, in Isaiah chapter 10, the leaders of Israel led the people towards wrong living and sinful behavior, and God gives a warning. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 3, here it is. And what will you do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from far? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? Or the prophet Jeremiah, likewise, ridicules idols in Jeremiah 10, verse 15. Scriptures say they are vanity, these idols. They are vanity and the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. So, you know, the prophet Jeremiah was particularly keen on this use of the visitation idea, as this word is mentioned frequently in, in his writings. This is also... The theme in the book of Hosea and the book of Micah. Now, what I also find intriguing is in multiple Jewish historical writings, before the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, this terminology is used within the Jewish culture. And please understand, I'm not suggesting that these other writings and sources that are not in the Bible should be considered as authoritative guides for our interpretation of the Bible. All I'm saying is they give us an example or examples of how Jewish culture used particular words and ideas in theological context. Okay, just wanted to make sure we understand it. So like returning to scripture, a, a very revealing reference is found in the renewing of the covenant captured in the book of Deuteronomy. Here, here the following is recorded. It's in Deuteronomy 11, verses 10 and 12. Here I read it. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And this Greek word episcope has a verb form, which in that scripture we just read in Deuteronomy is the phrase cares for. 
The idea is that God keeps constant oversight of his people and is watching and is visiting and caring for his people constantly. And this idea of being constantly before God's face is represented in the tabernacle and temple in the 12 loaves of shewbread. The Hebrew phrase is literally, it means bread of faces. So God literally tells the Hebrews to set this bread in the tabernacle before him regularly. And in the Hebrew language, this literally reads, you shall put upon the table bread of faces before God's face continually. In other words, God would continually inspect the 12 tribes symbolically. And scripture further says blessings will pour out when the Jewish people obey and The threats of judgment come from God when they rebel and are disobedient. So, folks, the entire point we need to take away from this is God's visitation or God's oversight brings with it serious consequences in the event of apostasy or continuing to practice sin, right? Staying in sin, not asking for forgiveness, not repenting. So don't forget that Jesus now, right? He's he's in this journey traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem this final time before he's put on the cross and he is warning the Jewish people. He's warning the great city of Jerusalem to get it together now. In other words, his face, his presence has literally come to inspect those 12 tribes. The city of Jerusalem is so faithless, so rebellious, so stubborn, so prideful, such stiff-necked people that she cannot, will not even realize the time of her visitation. I mean, and so Jesus says, it should have been as clear to them as the weather changing on the western sky. And indeed, With Jesus' miracles and teaching, it was that crystal clear. The people, however, continued to waffle, and the leaders continued demanding signs and wonders. You know what? That, to, to me, it sounds just like many a Christian today. They go, give me a sign, give me a wonder, or I'm going to walk away. So... Jesus is telling them in this parable in Luke 12, judgment is coming to you hypocrites. Now, the primary issue of the time, therefore, was a coming judgment. And so that kind of develops into the second thing that we can share about the people's hypocrisy, which is a lack of individual judgment. And the lack of individual judgment would result in judgment from God which is seen in the very next parable that Jesus teaches, Luke chapter 12, verses 57 and 59. Let's read that. Jesus is speaking here and he says, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way or your adversary may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, 
you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Whoa, okay, so see, it may have been news to these people. I mean, I guess this is fair to say. I think it may have been news to these people that they even had an accuser. I mean, because think about it. I mean, they they had, maybe, perhaps they had never been in the position of being sued before a judge. I think many Christians process things like this. They could say, I haven't done anything wrong. But Jesus has sure gotten their attention here in this parable, calling them hypocrites and then calling them criminally delinquent debtors. <laughs> I mean, this is interesting. I mean, everybody always says, oh, Jesus is so loving. He's so kind. I'm telling you, folks, Jesus informs them here in these two that they are in serious legal situation. And this is God's covenant. And God will be and God's going to judge by his standards and not man's. Right. Jesus is telling them it is their duty to settle out of court before the offended party who happens to be the judge. He's saying who happens to be God takes you before the judge and the officer. And the meaning for these Jewish debtors is simple. They had not lived up to their end of the covenant with God. They had taken advantage of his blessings. They had taken advantage of his grace and taken advantage of his mercies. And they had racked up huge piles of moral debt. And now the bills are coming due. In other words, they had been writing checks they could not cash. Of course, it all would have taken to pay in full, would have, would, all it takes is for them to repent and believe in him. So they could easily have settled this. And in fact, Jesus tells them there's still time, time's come short, but there's still time. Because soon you're gonna be called to account, but there's still time. If they had not settled out of court beforehand, while they had the chance, they would then face the full sanctions and ramifications of the judge at that court. They would be punished and punished to the last penny of the eternal debt they owed. Oh, boy. Once again, this reveals that the people have eyes, but still can't see. And they have ears, but still can't hear. So as Luke 12 ends and Luke 13 begins, the people respond here and they pretend that they have indeed discerned the times. Let's read this and starting now with Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Okay, so in other words, these people revealed that they were up on current events and knew what the times were all about, right? They knew that the evil Roman Empire was murdering innocent Jews and defiling their religious rituals as well. So that they said, hey, these Galileans being punished like this we're obviously who Jesus is talking about, right? Right? They're going, hey, Jesus, you're talking about what happened to these Galileans over here getting punished by the Romans, right? Well, let's read what Jesus responds to their question in Luke chapter 13, verses 2 and 5. Scripture says, Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? 
I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. <laughs> okay, so, okay, now we have reached one of the most interesting passages during the final trip Jesus is making from Galilee to Jerusalem. The lesson Jesus is giving is not via a parable. This time he's giving it by using actual events. And the obvious message Jesus is teaching is repentance individually. But, but don't overlook or miss what else Jesus has been saying and to whom Jesus is saying it to. This is for Jerusalem. And this ties in with the phrase Jesus has been emphasizing of understanding the significance of this time. I mean, it appears obvious that we could ask ourselves about Pilate's Galilean victims. Were, were they worse sinners than others to deserve such a faith? I mean, that seems like a fair question that, you know, I think many of us would kind of ask, but it's the wrong question. I mean, so often we hear the question, why does bad, thing hap bad things happen to good people? Why them? Why me, Lord? I'm a good person. But again, folks, being real clear, I hope I'm being crystal clear, it's the wrong question. It is the very reason Jesus says hypocrites to this group just a few minutes earlier. See, Jesus' whole message is this. He's telling them, you guys are not discerning the time or your visitation. Jesus' message, folks, is we are all idolatrous, rebellious, faithless sinners. And the time is now for repentance. He's saying, if you don't repent soon, you're all going to perish just like those Galileans and those people from Siloam. Okay, I keep harping on this, but don't forget this. Jesus is making his final journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, and he's been saying over and over and over that it is time, the time is now for Jerusalem, the great whore, to repent and acknowledge him as Lord or face judgment for the city, the leadership, and for the people, right? And he said, Jerusalem is going to crumble and many seemingly innocent people are about to be suddenly and violently destroyed in the visitation that's coming. The, see, the Rome Romans, by the hand of God, will slaughter the Jews and topple the city. Right, right? Jesus' audience thinks that such things happen only in rare and odd circumstances and probably to people who deserve it Right? It only happens to people who deserve it because of their sins. But in fact, Jesus is saying they all deserve it and they're all going to get it soon. Now, the audience in Jesus' day could not have been expected to detect all these, you know, foreshadowed details. But, the, but I think the general message is crystal clear. The time was short for repentance and there was coming a violence that they hadn't seen before. And, and it fits perfectly, folks, with the parable that follows. That's coming up here in Luke 13, right? Remember, we just had Jesus start with this, this was a parable about weather forecasting, which pertained to discerning the time. So continuing on with Jesus's lesson here, 
he brings forth a parable of a fig tree now. And this fig tree has been given multiple chances to bear fruit before it at last is threatened with being cut down. Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Once again, if you're not clear what's going on here, this is showing the grace of God again. Now, this is referring to Jerusalem, which had yet to bring forth fruit for the kingdom of God. Instead of bearing godly fruit, Jerusalem had filled herself with all kinds of delicacies through fornication with the kingdoms of the earth. That's what Revelation chapter 17 and 18 mention about Jerusalem. So in this parable, the vineyard owner is frustrated and has had enough. He, he's like, I'm done. This worthless fig tree, I need to eliminate it because in three years, no fruit was produced and this land is too valuable to risk on a non-producing tree. I mean, in other words, it could be said it's a bad investment and let's cut our losses now and replant. This is referring to Israel, which had been a bad investment. God had given Israel position, wealth, knowledge, revelation, but Israel had refused to expand to the other nations the way she was supposed to and instead was sapping nutrients from the rest of the world to suit her lusts. Hmm. Let's continue here and dig into this a little bit more about fig trees in general. In this parable, the fig tree had gone fruitless for three years and on the surface that seems like a consistent enough failure to warrant chopping down. But it is nevertheless normal for saplings, fig tree saplings, to grow their first three years before bearing fruit. So that's the norm. First three years, they don't bear fruit. So that's why we should give it one more season. And for this last year, it would get special attention. The vine dresser would be sure to till the soil and fertilize it. And so what was Jesus' final presence among his people but that this last great work, right? It was God's preparing good soil and fertilizing it with the word. That's what Jesus is doing. He's he's preparing the soil and he's fertilizing it. I kind of think of that parable of the sower that Jesus shared earlier in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? If you remember that, much of the soil is either rocky, shallow, or filled with thorns, And of course, Jesus had been going around doing ministry now for over three years at this point. He was was almost done with his ministry, right? Because he's going to go to the cross here in, in in a week or two. So Jesus is once again saying through a parable that this is the last chance. This is the last opportunity to bear fruit. And if that tree bears fruit for Jesus, right, after Jesus's last effort, then hallelujah, well and good. But if not... You can cut it down. In other words, you can turn Jerusalem into a pile of rubble and leave no stone unturned if it doesn't repent and produce fruit. 
I mean, so I think this entire section we've addressed today from Luke 12, verse 54 to Luke 13, 9 has one theme, and that theme is the time is now. In Jesus's immediate situation, that theme was specific to his audience. He's saying, the time is short for you. And and so remember now, folks, that this entire discourse, Jesus is speaking to the enormous crowd of people that are trampling on each other. It's just a huge crowd of people, not just the disciples here, not just a small group. And so I think for us today, The message to take away from this is not complicated, but rather simple. I think the message is repent of pride, arrogance, and lack of humility. You know, the scriptures in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, I think really applies here. It says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And please, please don't forget that not a single one of us is excluded from this. Jesus is directing this at the entire world. That's the, we're the huge audience. I mean, if you hear this today, here's something we got to do. We got to repent. We all know our situation. God knows it too. Look at yourself first, right? Judge yourself first. Hallelujah. I mean, he's given us grace, folks. Grace, grace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. So until next time, God bless you all. And I hope that ministered to you. Bye. Thank you for joining Dr. Candice for today's podcast. For more resources and weekly prophetic words direct in your email box, go to our website at www.candicesmithyman.com. Facebook at Candace Smithyman or Instagram at Candace Smithyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel.